Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 95 with Jack Ferguson, the head of Academy Sports Science at Kilmarnock. Jack came on to talk about his advice for master's students after going through the master's process. He talked about the challenges he faced throughout the master's process. He spoke about the research he did on the Nordboard and groin bar and how he applies that to his practice. And then we also spoke about, from both a player and coach perspective, part-time versus full-time programs and some considerations we need to make around that. So big thanks to Jack for coming on. I said in the episode that um, he's another one of the attendees up at our Celtic meeting. So we've had a few guys on from up at that meeting now. Obviously the two presenters, Jack Naylor and Ollie Morgan, but also Steve Kaneen over at Hibernian and now Jack Ferguson and Andy Bowles as well. So um, plenty of quality stuff being done up in Scotland. It's great to catch up with these guys. Um, I just want to say a big thank you as well to everyone that's reached out. I've had a number of private messages and a number of tags on social media regarding episode 94 with Raymond Verheyen. I thought that one would cause some discussion and it certainly did. So I just want to say a big thank you to everyone that's reached out. Um, I know it has divided opinion and some people agreeing, some people uh, disagreeing, some people uncertain about the information that was in that episode. But I think it's always great to expose yourself to different practitioners and to get different points of view. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with that episode. So thanks for the support on that episode and for sharing it and reaching out and letting us know your feedback. I really do appreciate it. Um, And then also going forward, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your guest recommendations. So we've got a few guests confirmed. We're just in the process of confirming the next few podcasts as well. So if there's anyone in particular that you think you'd want to hear on the podcast, I have reached out on social media and asked for some recommendations. We've had some top recommendations and I'm hunting down a a few practitioners right now to try and get them to come on. But um, let, I want to hear from you guys as well, so let me know who you want to hear on the podcast. If you can think of it, someone in particular that's got um, something specific to talk about, a specific topic or subject, um, or whether you just want to hear from their experiences, then please reach out, let me know. Drop me a message on Twitter or Instagram, um, at footballfitfed, or you can email us at, uh, sorry, mail at footballfitfed.com. So reach out and let me know who you want to hear and we will do our best to get them on the show. Big thanks again for your support and for listening. Here is the episode with Jack Ferguson. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 95. I'm joined today by Jack Ferguson, the head of sports science, head of academy sports science at Kilmarnock. Jack, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, Ben. Thanks for having us on. No problem, mate. Cheers for coming on. Um, I know we've got some good stuff to talk about, and especially anyone that is in and around the sort of master's process um, at this time or possibly in the future. I think this is definitely an episode for for people like that, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've just recently come to the end of my, my master's programme myself, uh, along with working full-time in the industry. So uh, it'd be good to share my experiences and some of the stuff of went through along the way so far yeah awesome mate and we're, we're gradually working our way through all the attendees of the Celtic 
um, network meeting as well. So you were up there with us at Celtic and um, seems like quite a while ago now, doesn't it? But it's not too long ago with Jack and, and Ollie. So how did you find the evening up at Celtic? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was my, my first network meeting, I think. Was that your first one up in, up in Scotland? North it was, of the yeah. It's enjoyable. Met a lot of uh, good people up there as well. It was a, a busy night. I don't know how long it will be before something like that can go out. Uh, occur again, obviously, with the current circumstances. But, yeah, it was a great night. And I would, something I would strongly recommend to anyone that can get to along to one if it's in your local area. Yeah, we're, we're on hold with them at the moment. But, obviously, as soon as we get the green light to... To do it, we'll be up there again because it was a great evening, um, some great conversations and um, yeah, some top coaches turned up to the night as well, which we, like I say, we're working through on the podcast, which is awesome. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed. Awesome, mate. So let's dive into you, Jack. I've just mentioned your role, Head of Academy Sports Science at Kilmarnock, but do you want to just take us back to your education and then take us through your career so far? Yeah, no worries at all. So when I first left, I got all the way back to the end of high school, I knew I wanted to go into some sort of sport-related degree. I'd never really had sort of sports science, strength and conditioning on my mind originally. Uh, so i done the BSc in Sport Physical Activity at the University of Strathclyde here in Glasgow, which was, it had lots of different sort of sports science s modules, if you like, uh, physiology, biomechanics, and even a bit of sports psychology, nutrition. But what I also had was a sort of sports coaching element to it, which allowed us to work with young people in a variety of different sports and work on regressions and progressions and how to organise a session, which probably benefited me in the long run, working within the academy on pitch with the young players. Uh, it was into the third year of my honours degree. We had to go get some work experience and I sort of the industry you could see yourself going into after your degree. Uh, I was got in touch with Andy White, who was the first team sports scientist at Kilmarnock at the time. I was very fortunate enough to be offered sort of work experience down there. And that just involved me going down to Kilmarnock once, twice a week and kind of shadowing Andy and the team there and what he kind of did with the first team. Uh, throwing in the deep end, I think one of my first or second day, Andy I'm in the Cairo chamber with one of the first team boys. So that was a good experience. Uh, so I'd done that from the January to the end of that season. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. So I was then going into the fourth year of my honours and Andy put me in contact with Cammy McDermott, who was the head of academy sports science at Commandlock at the time. Uh, I met Cammy and for another season worked alongside Academy alongside Cammy, sorry, in the academy, uh, three nights a week. Uh, sort of delivering pitch sessions, gym sessions, planning sessions, doing a bit of testing, growth and maturation, data collection with the boys there at the academy. Uh, after I finished my, my honours, I wanted to go and do a master's, but I was unsure whether I was going to go and do like an MSc, a top master's again, more of what I'd done before, sort of lectures, stuff like that. But there was the opportunity at Kilmarnock to do a master's of philosophy and an MPhil. And the club very gratefully and I was very very lucky I agreed to fund my masters and um, Cammy put a lot of work into getting that up and running for myself so in return for my masters I worked for the academy three nights a week uh, again whilst collecting my data that was a, a two year two year masters uh, the MPhil that was at Heritage Watt in Edinburgh so halfway one year just last summer into it uh, Cammy left the club and I was fortunate enough to be promoted into 
that position of Head of Academy Sports Science at Kilmarnock, which is where I still am today, uh, along with trying to finish my Masters, which brought along its own experiences and challenges. And we'll touch on those challenges shortly because I want to dive into that. But just to take you back to that initial mindset of um, the, the Masters pathway, I suppose, like the different types yeah. of Masters, what was your thinking behind that to go the route that you did? I think it's a good question. Uh, there's lots of great top masters out there in sport and uh, science and medicine or in S&C. But for me, the opportunity to work within an academy setting three nights a week and latterly I was even sort of introduced into the, the sort of full-time set or maybe a bit of match day support and GPS handling for the under-18s. I wouldn't have got that if I, or I wouldn't have been able to commit as much time to that as if I had went down the sort of MSC top masters route sort of lectures and different coursework to focus on, whereas the masters I chose, it was purely working on your thesis, your research, and the research I'd done could then benefit the club and the academy in a way. So it just kind of gave me a more real-life setting of uh, the science and then how to apply that into practice and gave me the best of both worlds uh, because obviously I had never really coached young athletes before and that was something new to me. Uh, and a great experience and probably stands being good said to where I got to today. Yeah, I think it's good to discuss that that time in the career, isn't it, when you've got these choices yeah. to make. And it's, I mean, we did the recent episode with Liam Anderson and he spoke about the master's process and some of the considerations that you've got to make. And it's tough, isn't it, when you've got that decision to make, whether you know you're making the right decision or not and you, you don't really know at the time, do you? So I think it's great to reach out to practitioners like yourself and um, get your experience when you've been through that process. Um, and just to tie in with that as well, one thing that I wanted to touch on is the challenges. So you've briefly mentioned just a few of the challenges that you faced along um, throughout the process. And, and again, just referring back to Liam, he talked about um, all the different challenges that he faced in terms of time and getting home and being knackered, but then that's the time that you've got to do more research and all the rest of it, and it, it does yeah, become quite consuming. Um, so again I think it's great for practitioners to hear you guys speak about about your experiences and and take that into consideration before making the decision Um, but can you just take us through some of the challenges uh, some of the challenges you faced yeah of course so obviously as you you mentioned anyone working in an academy setting will know my job now with the under 18s they are full-time during the day players so we're in nine o'clock in the morning, same time as everybody else. But the academy players, the, the boys that go to school during the day, are obviously still coming in late afternoon and into the evening. So you can be down uh, or working at the club for 12 hours a day, three, four days a week. As you were saying there, you then need to come home at night and focus on your research, whether that's for a discussion part of your thesis or a literature review. And also find the time, another challenge was finding people you could rely on and trust on to help you with the data collection process. I was collecting the data at Kilmarnock, so it kind of tied in with my work at the academy. But there were still occasions I would have to travel to another 16s away match to use the GPS or collect data there and have people you can rely on that you know the other squads you're not with on that evening um, are going to still get the same level of uh, scientific support and what, what we can offer to the club. Uh, so I think building trust and finding good people around about you to help with the data collection process was something that took a bit of time uh, 
to get people to understand. But I, I must say the club were, were great and they understood why I needed to do that and why I had to be there over that certain period of time. Um, and yeah, and just as you said, the, the timing of it, try to find time to sit when you're knackered and you're tired to do your research and write a good thesis. Uh, it was challenging, but definitely worth it in the, the end. And I know you touched on it again before, but you had your changing role as well during that time. Yeah, yeah. So I went from part-time to full-time uh, during during the Masters. So part-time, it was more manageable because I had uh, the days to, to do my my Masters work, my thesis. And then I was working at the academy at night. Uh, and when it went to full-time, that's when it, it got challenging because I was at the club a lot more often, 40, 50 hours a week, whatever it may be. And then if we go into some specifics on your research now as well. Um, so if yeah. you just give us a bit of a, an overview on some of your research and then we'll dive into some of the applications of practice as well. Yep. No worries. So my research, we were quite lucky at the club. Uh, we have a, a nod board and a groin bar. And if you look at some of the research run about that, the majority of stuff done it so far is in uh, adult footballers and adult uh, athletes there's not so much been done into adolescent populations or especially adolescent footballers so that was kind of the gap in the research uh, I've seen to, to go into and explore a wee bit more so the first part of the research was really to establish the reliability of the nod board and the groin bar in uh, a population of adolescent footballers establish some thresholds for real change uh, whether that be eccentric hamstring strength or abductor strength uh, that we can make decisions on their their load and their, their programming. So once we had kind of established those thresholds for real change, the, the next part was then to collect training load data involved uh, GPS, heart rate, RPE, uh, alongside our North Bold and Growing Bar scores over a, a four-week period, assessed how they changed uh, in relation to the changes in, in training load that the players had uh, over over a month. And then that probably gives more questions as well. Okay, so that's over a month. How does that look over six months, over a whole season? Uh, and it should hopefully really just aid this sort of planning and periodisation of training for, for practitioners and SNC coaches out there if that is the kind of monitoring system they decide to use for their players. And then in terms of like some applications, so... What was um, how has it affected your practice going forward? Because that's what I'm interested to see is the research that you did. If we take both the the no board and the growing bar, like what what was the difference between how you worked before and how you work now? So once I had sort of learned myself how to do the the reliability sort of statistical analysis and calculate those thresholds for real change, there's many ways you can do it. Uh, they, we looked at typical error. We also looked at the calculating the smallest worthwhile change, uh, and we can look at the minimal defect, minimal defectable change as well. Sorry, uh, and you can look at both. We kind of looked at the largest one, which was in our case typical error, and say, okay, we'll set that as our threshold for for real change. Uh, I could then apply that to my testing with the the under 18s at the club, the, the full time players. We tried. I tried to test them. Um, six to eight weeks uh, with the nodbold and groin bar scores and just for example if we had our typical error set at 30 newtons if we seen a change greater than 30 newtons in uh, an eccentric hamstring test we could then say with a bit more confidence yeah that is 
a real increase in eccentric hamstring strength. If it was below the 30 newtons, we would say, okay, yeah, you've increased by 10, 15, but we don't know. We can't say with confidence that that is a real change uh, in your eccentric hamstring strength. And just basically try to relay that, relay that back to the players. Uh, you've got to speak in their language and they're not going to be interested in newtons and not bold and reliability. So just basically, nice and simple traffic lights, red, amber, green. If you were above the typical error, it was it was a green for a, a real improvement. Somewhere between the typical error either side and the amber zone and then below, hopefully, which we don't like to see during this season, was a, a real decrease in, in lower body strength. And, and the boys have really caught to that. They find it easy to look at the results. They're always looking for greens. They're always looking to improve. And that's something I've managed to roll out, just not in the Nordbone grind bar, but how we look at lower limb power through CMJ jumps and their acceleration and speed tests on pitch. And it's something you could apply to any monitoring tools that you really had at a club, whether that be looking at yo-yo scores as well for more aerobic endurance-based tests as well. But from the reliability stuff as well, when my masters has taught me how to sort of use that and calculate the Z scores for within our sort of under eighteen age group. So the boys at our club they're all, all FIFA daft, they all love FIFA. So I've came up with the idea of making I don't know if you know sort of be radar graphs you get in FIFA it shows speed, power, whatever it may be. So they all have their own radar graph now with the sort of physical attributes on it. Uh, and they love comparing it to one another. And as I say, it's just like speaking their language and getting your points across to them. Okay, what's your strengths? What's your weaknesses? And how do we change or how do we adapt your program in the gym or your program in the pitch to get you from a below average to an average or an average to above average within the squad or get your maybe your amber scores on this, uh, the traffic light system up to greens? So that's really been a big benefit for my masters is how I've used the research and the knowledge I've learned to then apply that into a real life setting with the players in terms of physical capabilities and how they are monitored throughout the course of the season. Just a very quick community update this week. So we've got loads of great information available on the community and we're just in the process of confirming more webinars and information to go on there as well. Some of the feedback we've got from the members is that they're actually struggling to get through all the information on there. So it is packed full of quality football fitness information. So if you aren't a member and you want to go and check it out, you can get a month for free by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab at the top, sign up there, make sure you go through the whole process and that will give you one month free on the community. After that, going forward, it is only £4.99 per month. Um, So you get access to all the webinars and all the network meeting presentations that are available on there, as well as some upcoming brand new webinars that we're really excited to bring to you. So that will be coming very soon, but go and check it out. If you're already a member, um, then make sure you're checking out all the recent uploads on the community. But if you're not, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there and get yourself a free month to see exactly what it is all about. Here is part two of the podcast with Jack Ferguson. No, that's awesome, mate. I love that. And that you can see why players um, take to that as well, can't you? Because it's so simple. And like you say, yeah. it's, it's, it is their language because a lot of them are playing, <laughs> playing on FIFA and they can they relate to it straight away. So it's, it's very much... Um, 
something that can that can make sense to them without having to explain all the science and everything, which we don't want to really get caught up into. Um, yeah, of course. The, the, the other thing I was going to get you to talk through is, to obviously it's going to be a little bit different at the moment, but we're talking in terms of a usual season um, without the, these crazy breaks. But in terms of how the week looks, and, and when, I'm, when I say that, I'm referring to... Um, when the players are working with things like the Norbod and the groin bar, how what are how um, frequent are they hitting those exercises? What are the rep ranges? What are we looking like? What's the week look like? Uh, so for the Norbod and groin bar, as I say, we look to test that every six to eight weeks, along with the the CMG and their their sprint performance. I would then look at the Norbod and groin bar stuff. They look at where they sit on an average compared to the rest of the squad. Uh, it's not, we don't, in Scotland, we don't have a lot of sort of noble data for especially adolescent players to set almost national benchmarks the way I know down south with sort of EPPP they have uh, benchmarks for different physical performance tests. We don't really have that up here, so we can only really base it on how they compare to themselves previously and how they compare to the rest of the squad. Uh, if there's somebody with a notable weakness uh, on the Nord board. We look for above kind of 300 newtons uh, in our sort of full-time, fully matured players. More looking into that's maybe touching reserve players that are almost at 20, 21. Uh, If there is a a noticeable drop below, say the 300 newtons mark, we would look, okay, can we programme more eccentric hamstring work into there such as your your RDLs or on Nordics and gradually progress that for six to eight weeks uh, in terms of might be reps it could be if it's more uh, strength based well, we also look to increase the load uh, with your, your, your usual 4x5 five, 5x5 five five and an RDL uh, Nordics I try to keep in every week anyway more from a kind of injury prevention point of view if the boys are strong enough to to complete an audit, we do have some players that, that, that really struggle with audits and we have to strip them back to more isometric work, uh, sort of bridging stuff like that before they're able to do to do audits. And then on the flip side, you've got some players in our squad to insanely good at audits, can get all the way down and back up while holding a 10 kilo plate. It's it's incredible. So basically, they would look at individual scores and not board in the groin bar. Uh, and within their gym program, I try to include at least one individual session to work on their weaknesses uh, again for if you've got a weakness in the abductors we would be maybe looking for more sort of the Copenhagen work and bridging work in there uh, percentage imbalances and another thing we look at between left and right hamstrings if there's a, a an obvious uh, weakness in one of the left or right side can we get more yeah, unilateral work into the players uh, and the gym uh, as well and that's kind of just how we use the, the nod board groin bar as well as uh, CMG and sprint test and if, if it is somebody that's maybe needs to work on acceleration of speed or more powerful that can be also worked on on pitch and in gym that's just kind of how we add news as tests to influence my practice and what, what our boys do on the pitch and in the gym no, I think that's a, a great breakdown and like you say it's the big picture isn't it with this this monitoring um, it's not we're not yeah. just taking single tests or or single data points. It, it does need to come from the big picture. But in terms of um, the setup at the club, is it just yourself, yeah. um, Academy Sports Science, or have you got people 
other staff around you that are also helping you with that process and then and then how does that look in terms of you getting because you're talking there about basically individualizing some programs when players need to work on certain points so how does that practically practically work for yourself uh, with difficulty to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but with difficulty obviously at the club at the moment there's there's myself so I head the academy sports sciences Ross Hughes who is uh, the first team sports scientist and does some good work with the older reserve players as well uh, but apart from that there's no other full time sports scientist SNC coach at the club uh, I do have that come into the academy uh, three or four interns uh, coming voluntary just the way I did at the start to get experience who are maybe finishing master's courses or just finished their master's and they're looking to kind of break their way into the industry just going back to what we talked about at the start to the boys that do come in done, went down the sort of top masters process and don't have that same practical experience of coming into a club and uh, delivering sessions to players so it's giving these boys that opportunity to come in to individualise it's easier for maybe one squad whether it is your under 18s to do that all the way down from 16s to 11 is, is challenging Uh Although we talk about individualisation for, for gym sessions, I sometimes wonder if we'd be lucky to maybe get a half hour gym session with a, an under 14 squad. Uh, are we better instead of trying to individualise things for those sort of younger players, more a generic lower body strength session or fundamental movement skills? Uh, can they overhead squat? Can they lunge? Can they hinge? Can they bridge? Can they brace? Stuff like that instead of trying to work with an individual where there's another 14 boys in the background just doing their own thing and you can't really have, you can't have eyes in the back of your head and that's difficult for not only myself but the guys that come in the interns that help out at the club at night time as well No I think that that's a great point because you've got to make the most out of your time and realise the, the amount of players that you're working with because in your role I'm guessing you're covering when you're talking about academy what's the age group you're going down to uh, all the way down to under 11s. So we're sort of part-time. So we have a junior academy, is 11s to 12s, who maybe don't get as much uh, sports science support as we would like, just due to staffing and, and times, because everyone kind of trains at the, the same time, same evenings. Uh, 13s to 16s that train, and then the sort of 18s are the sort of professional academy. They're full-time in during the day. And then the other thing we were going to talk about is a part-time programme comparing to a full-time program and some of the differences. And we, we were talking about players, but I think yeah. it'd be good initially to talk about staff as well, because you mentioned before about yourself going from a part-time, and I know you were, you were full-time in terms of taking into consideration your master's as well. But yeah. we're talking strictly your role at the club, part-time to a full-time role. So what the, I think that's great to delve into because there'll be a lot of people either wanting to go through that process of going from part-time to full-time or as like an assistant to a, a lead of, a, of um, a department. So I think it'd be great to delve into that initially in terms of the challenges, your mindset, the things that had to change for, for that shift. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when I was working part-time, going full-time was obviously my goal. That was something I wanted to go into uh, at the club. 
part time at the moment. We are in three nights a week. Uh, the boys train three nights a week, and we get fifteen to twenty minutes at the start of each pitch based session, which is quite a lot considering what you hear other clubs get uh, with the players on pitch to deliver a sports science strength conditioning program. In that case, you were more planning for in the sort of I know Kev Patson talked about in your podcast a couple of weeks ago the different phases as they sort of they grow and they mature. Uh, what we could be guilty with was okay, we've got some really good plyometric sessions. We do that for three four weeks. It could then get dropped for another three four weeks to work on something else, and you would bring it back, and you're almost having to bring those players back to the start each time at a part-time setting just purely because you don't have that amount of time with them on pitch five, six days a week, which is different from when you go full-time with uh, the players there. You're with the players every single day. Uh, we're in the gym with them uh, most, most mornings, three to four mornings a week, uh, not always doing heavy strength sessions. It could just be a recovery session or more injury prevention-based stuff. So the main difference is probably the management of load for the older players. Uh, I think an, inter- an interesting point I took from away from my Masters is we found that 24 hours post-match, there was no uh, differences uh, in sort of lower body strength and in speed performance in part-time players. They seemed to, physically it seems anyway, fully recovered 24 hours post-match when they came into train again. So I think I mentioned to you previously what is really why we're doing recovery sessions or foam rolling and we spinning the bike with these part-time players when we've got limited training time as it is uh, when it seems at 24 hours post-match they're maybe not as physically or the physical attributes are maybe not as declined as what they would be in a full-time environment now that could be for a, a number a number of things to uh, pitch size or some boys play nine aside really young groups uh, it could be quality of opponent, it could be travel, it could be a variety of different things. But I think definitely the management of load from part-time to full-time was the biggest jump and more pressure. Uh, as people will know, if there's an injury, a soft tissue injury, uh, the first look, first thing we look at is, has there been a spike in training load? Uh, that maybe doesn't happen as much at a part-time setting when you're limited to staff and numbers and time you have on the pitch. Uh, more, maybe more pr- pressure, definitely more pressure, a full-time environment to push players on that are going to be physically capable and ready to go play, whether it be reserve football or hopefully eventually go on and play in the first team at Kilmarnock. Uh, the club is quite good at almost uh, moving players up depending on their sort of physical attributes. It's maybe like a kind of mini bio-banding uh, not specifically if we see a player who is in the under-14 age group but is just using purely their strength and size, uh, the club is willing to push them up uh, and challenge them a wee bit more. Uh, sorry, I probably just went off on a wee tangent there talking about biobanding, but uh, more modest than the load, I would say, would be the, the biggest difference from part-time to full-time. And that's probably due to the, the facilities and the access to GPS and heart rate than what we have part-time. No, I, I don't think that was a tangent at all, mate. I think it's, yeah. it's um, great to touch on uh, what it looks like practically for you. And I suppose yeah. the, other, the other thing I'd say with that is, and I'm, I'm sure you talk to your interns all the time about this sort of thing, but 
Um, if you were to speak to interns or people in that similar sort of position that do want to make that step up to the similar role that you're in, what would be some advice? Like if you could speak to yourself back in that position um, without knowing that you're going to end up here right now, like what would be the advice and what are the sort of steps that you need to take to take that step up? Yeah, I think uh, during this lockdown period as well, it's even gave it's given myself great time to do lots of CPD work, all the, the online webinars and courses have been going about. Uh, advice was definitely to go out. I went out as early as my third year of monitors and get practical experience. It doesn't have to be delivering sessions or planning sessions, even if it's just shadowing uh, at a first team level or even at a reserve level and seeing what uh, a sports scientist or a strength conditioning coach does day to day, how they plan things, ask lots of questions, lots and lots of questions. You become, I'm sure I was very annoying to Cammy and Andy when I first went all these questions, but in not just to accept answers from questions is okay that that that's a norm challenge them and can you do it in your own way and is that right just because we do it that way with under 16s uh, at this club doesn't necessarily mean this is way under 16s at another club are trained and uh, so main advice would be go out and get practical experience as early as possible ask lots of questions uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes I think that at first I was always maybe plan a session and think oh no I'm not sure if that's going to work at academy level that is the level we can make mistakes and maybe get a, not get away with it but it may not have as big an impact especially if you are a first team and you do put on a, a session which is horrendous uh, you'll get you'll get caned for that, but maybe under 14s, 15s, you can get away with that a wee bit more uh, and say, okay, I made mistakes, I can learn from it, I'll, I'll plan better for, for next week and, and move on. Uh, but is it all about getting out there and learning uh, with the practical experience? Um, because I've learned so much more working in the field, uh, out in the pitch and in the, the gym than I would have sitting in a lecture theatre. No, I think that's great advice. And I think we all have to make those mistakes as well, don't we? We all have to have those yeah, of and, um that we feel like are just a disaster because the, time and time again, when I speak to coaches on here, they tell those same stories. And I think if they ha- didn't have those stories to tell, obviously we don't, we don't enjoy it at the time. It doesn't feel nice when the sessions don't go well, but uh, we have to have that, don't we? We have to put ourselves in those positions where we're uncomfortable and you learn from it, don't you? And that's the way of progressing. Yeah, of course, it's all about pushing yourself out your, outside your comfort zone. No, definitely. And just to tie in with that, you, you touched on CPD. What's what's your general approach to CPD? I know it's a bit different at the moment in lockdown. There's a bit more availability on webinars and things like that. So has yeah. that been the sort of approach right now? But then also, what is your you approach usually when you're busy, when you're in the club day to day? What's um, what What's the approach for CPD? Yeah, uh, just now, as you say, it's more webinar-based because that's all we can really do. When you are busy uh, and stuck in in the club day-to-day, we were quite fortunate within the science and medical department, which tied in nice with the first team guys. Uh, We've recently done, even just through Zoom, more CPD stuff that relates to issues at the club at a first team level as well, which has been good for me to see, more from even like a, a sort of physio uh, way of looking at things it's been good for me to see tie in good with the sort of return to play stuff and the rehab on pitch 
what's something I would like to do at the club, it's not something we do at the moment, is have almost with the interns that are still at uni and more and whether that's uh, picking a say a physical quality of what we work on, if it's a change of direction, agility, and everybody coming up with a session uh, to go and deliver on pitch one night uh, and then we could talk about pros, uh, pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses of that session, how can we regress that, how can we progress that for not only individuals within age groups, but older age groups, younger age groups. It's not it's not somewhere we're at yet, it's somewhere I would like to get to, but it's all about uh, having the time, you're right, having the time on pitch and having the time where everybody's available to come in because uh, when, you, when you go in at nine o'clock in the morning, the day, I know you can't be in until nine o'clock at night sometimes, but the day does fly by, It's you, you are non-stop. So finding that CPD during normal times uh, can be a challenge, but it's definitely something we're looking to work on. I think you made a great point there, though, in terms of utilising your staff as well and the people at your club. Because, yeah, yeah, we might definitely. not be able to reach out and go out to all these places and reach out to people that we're potentially getting to right now um, when everyone's shutting their houses. But everyone at every club will have some sort of practitioners around them, won't they? Um, whether yeah. you're in the first team environment, you've got academy staff around you and vice versa. So, I think that's a great point is is reaching out to these these other practitioners and learning from each other. Yeah, definitely. And like I was saying earlier about asking questions, it's something I still do now of uh, first team sports scientist, first team physio, uh, academy physio, why are we doing that? Why does he need that but he doesn't need that? Just this different questions and then how I can sort of take that stuff and filter that down to the, the guys at the level of the academy programme. Yeah, definitely. And just finally, Jack, you've talked there about um, like CPD in particular, but how do you want to progress the programme? So I'm sure you've seen it come quite a long way in the time that you've been at the club, but what's like the next step for you? Yeah, uh, definitely. Next step for me would be what I was going to just mention briefly earlier. Uh, if our guys come, come in, and even myself, we plan a great plyometric session an axial decel session that could be it for maybe three four weeks and the players don't work on that again uh, and then we kind of think right well we've not really we've not really progressed anywhere there I think periodizing is what we do well at the, the 18s level it's something that needs to get better at the, the 16s below level so I think just maybe filtering more of the stuff we do down from the under-18s and how we even the monitoring, the periodization of different training, different capabilities is something that I would like to improve on going into next season for the part-time programme. Uh, for, for sure, that would be probably the biggest one. Awesome, mate. Well, I think we covered some good stuff there. And like I said, anyone going in and around the master's process, I think this is a must-listen forum because you give some some great advice there and, and tying in, like I said, with the previous episodes with people like Liam Anderson, I think um, there's some great advice for practitioners out there. But if people want to reach out, and I know with um, up in Scotland, you guys, are, which proved in the network meeting, people are dying out to reach out to each other and um, share share um, the information and the, the way you're working up there. So I do encourage people to, to get in touch with people like yourself because um, I think you've, you've shown today you're willing to, to share and, and learn from other people. Um, so I do encourage people not to hold back. So just to tie in with that, 
where's the best place for people to get in touch? Uh, probably on, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter's uh, Jack Fergal ninety six. Uh, and as you say there, Ben, yeah, definitely anyone that's used not even the not Bolden Groin, but more different sort of monitoring tools within an academy setting. Uh, something we definitely need to get better at. Uh, I would be more than happy to discuss what I've sort of done so far, or what other clubs and what other people have done so far, and how we can tie that in and just make academies more, more efficient as a whole. Because I think in the current situation, academies could be could be more heavily relied on. No, definitely. And that, that does seem the pattern, especially in Scotland as well, because we, when we spoke to Steve Kinnean up at Hibs and um, obviously Ollie Morgan at, at the Celtic meeting, that's definitely the, the pattern, isn't it? So I think it'd be great for... The, the research and um, the way clubs are working to, to share that practice as well and then and then for everyone to improve and the, the um, programs to, to constantly get better so I really do appreciate you coming on Jack I think it's been great to, to chat with you and hopefully people have taken plenty from it um, and we'll stay in touch right yeah brilliant Ben thanks for having us on mate appreciate it top man thanks Jack no worries mate cheers Thank you to Jack for coming on the podcast. It was great to speak to him. At our network meetings, it is quite tough to get round and speak to everyone. Um, so it is great to catch up with him and, and talk to him about some of his takeaways from the meeting, but then also everything he's had going on in this period. Um, so I really do appreciate him coming on. You can go and give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Jack Fergo. 96. So go and give him a follow and keep up to date with everything he's got going on up at Kilmarnock. Takeaways this week for me were he talked about finding people you trust for his data collection, but I think finding people you trust anyway in terms of um, delegating work and obviously working together as practitioners. Um, he spoke about the traffic light system that he uses in his practice and then also the, the FIFA radar graphics. So when we talk time and time again about communication with coaches, but also how we relay information onto players as well. And, and I think that really makes sense for obvious reasons that a lot of players are playing on things like FIFA and it becomes really um, relatable for them that they can see these graphics and see the areas that they need to progress um, and work on and also the, their strengths on there as well. So I think that was a, a really good way of working from Jack. So they were my main takeaways. But as always, reach out, let us know yours. We're getting constant tags on social media with your takeaways from podcast episodes. And that's exactly what I want from these podcasts. I don't want you to just listen to them and then move on to the next one. I want you to have a think and think about some takeaways that you take from every episode. Um, but also reach out and let us know what they are as well. So whether you private message us or um, whether you give us that tag on social media, then that is great. I really do appreciate everyone doing that because not only does it let more people know about the show, um, but it also gives a little bit of feedback to us in terms of areas that you potentially want to hear from in the future. So subjects you want us to cover and people you want to get us uh, get on the podcast. So just tying in with that as well. I know I said it at the start of the episode, but if you can think of anyone in particular that you want to hear on the podcast, then please reach out. Let me know. Um, drop me an email, mail at footballfitfed.com or go onto the Twitter or the Instagram and just private message us um, at footballfitfed. 
But as always, thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, Every single one of you that listens to the episode, I really do appreciate everyone. Um, And we'll speak to you again next week.